Good evening, everybody. I'm going to give you just a little, a couple of minutes here on the fast that we're going to start tomorrow. And then we're going, I heard some of his heart sink when I said. <laughs> uh, but we're not asking you to do anything the Lord's not asking you to do. But what we want to do, and the, the satellite church is doing it as well. We welcome everybody that's joining us live tonight. We welcome all of you all, wherever you're at, around the world or in this country. Uh, we're going to start a fast tomorrow at sundown. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So we start our fast at sundown tomorrow or sometime between 5 and 7 o'clock there. Uh, where you're going to have your last supper. No. <laughs> uh Get those last little Debbies in before, before the fast starts. Uh, but I want to just encourage you to do whatever the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. I, I we know the value of fasting. We saw God really just take us to another level here in this church about three years ago when we fasted. So I want to encourage you to do it. I want to encourage you to do it the way you feel led to do it. You don't have to talk about it. You don't want your rewards down here. You want to... We want to take those impossibility lists we made and the people, certainly the people that we want to see saved or redeemed, we want that to happen. Uh, so starting tomorrow at sundown, uh, whatever you feel led to do, whatever you feel God's called you to do or you're capable of doing, you may want to fast three days and not eat anything. You may want to fast lunch for six days. You may want to fast lunch for the whole 21 day. Whatever you feel led to do. And this, when you... Get some direction on that, whatever you feel led to do. Uh, spend a little extra time praying. Get in the Word and pray. Don't just skip the meal. Try to get a little more time in with God. And like I said, you can fast three whole days, seven days. Maybe you want to fast all 21 days, whatever. But don't, don't, we're not in competition. We're not here to, because uh, if we start getting in competition with that, we'll all lose our reward. <laughs> Right, we don't even supposed to appear to people that we're fasting. So, uh, just whatever you feel some conviction about doing, maybe it's if you're a big breakfast eater, you're going to skip breakfast for 21 days. Whatever, uh, are you going to fast some of those days and take some off and fast some? Whatever you feel led to do, but we want to make sure we're fasting for the next 21 days, and uh, so. We see great things. My wife and I, <clears throat> we've had some serious situations in our life in the 34 years we've been married. And some of those we've fasted out of. I mean, we really just went in together on a fast and it broke that situation uh, to God be the glory. So fasting is a powerful thing. You can read a lot about it in Esther and different places. And uh, it, was, it was assumed by the Lord that we would do that. It wasn't really optional. Three things Jesus said. He didn't say if, he said when. You know what those three things are? He said, when you give. He didn't say if you give. He said, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Those three things. So those are things that are characteristics of a Christian. We give. We pray and we fast. And we certainly give ourselves to the word. We're going to do some of that tonight. Now, uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 1. I'll remind you one more time before you leave here. 
the fast starts tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but it's exciting. You, you, you'll really, it'll help you. If you've never fasted or if you've never really give yourself to it, uh, it'll be a good time to do that. And we we'll know that your brothers and sisters are suffering with you through that time. Uh, we're going to go to Romans. But before we go to Romans, let's go to 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> this verse is, we're going to come back to. Just a little bit because I believe we are getting ready in the body of Christ. We're getting ready for... <laughs> so, First uh, Peter chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1 through 5. I want you to pay attention to what Peter says here. He says, uh, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... so. It wasn't just spiritual. I mean, he gave up everything to come and to um, offer his life as a ransom for ours. But he also took on flesh. And that's going to be important for us to think about as we go through Romans. Because what we want to happen by the time we get through the end of Romans is for every one of us to be dead. To the, to the flesh, right? I want to die out just a little bit more. All right. I'm trying to keep you awake here. And he says, uh, he, he suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. So have the same perspective as Jesus, right? For he, that's a little he, so he's talking about us. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And I, I, deal, I deal with prodigals. Well, you know, I've been doing this for 38 years, I think now. And I deal with prodigals regularly. People who've strayed and found their way back. And a lot of times there's a big, there's a lot of condemnation there. A lot of shame, a lot of battles to fight through because... Let's just be real. If you're a prodigal, you basically did things you knew you shouldn't have been doing, right? I mean, because a prodigal is somebody who's been in the house and decided to leave, right? And so a lot of them are older. There's, uh, I'm thinking of a guy who, particularly a friend of mine who's been to prison for a long time, just different situations that he went through, and he's battling the oh, man, I knew better. I shouldn't have never been. You know, all the stuff that we all hear. And what I try to encourage somebody like that that's a prodigal and that's especially older like he is, I say, think of it this way. Get ready to give the rest of your life to God. Every bit of it. Don't you think he deserves, if you've got 10 years left, 20 years left, how about running those all out? Just give them all out to God. If you've not been given, why don't you just start giving? If you've not been tithing, won't you start tithing? Won't you do it right? Won't you pray? Why don't you fast? Won't you get in the Word? Just give Him everything these last many years. How many there are? 5, 10, 15, 20. You may live to be 106. But what a run. What a run. If you just get sold out. And that's what He said. He said no, that you won't live the rest of your time here in the flesh, right? Uh, the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have uh, uh, spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. He nailed us, didn't he? He knew how us Gentiles were. He said, we've spent enough time doing that. Right? We, it's, have you played around long enough? And I'm, I'm just throwing that stuff out there. I'm not talking to anybody specifically. 
But I, some of our own testimony. Have you, have you been out there doing your own thing long enough? How about doing it God's way for the rest of your life? How about doing what Job did? The Bible said he eschewed evil. That meant he turned his back on it and said, I'm going that way. I'm not coming back here again. That's what we all need to do, right? I'm going that way for God. I'm not coming back here again. And he says, uh, he says, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil you. The world thinks we're nuts. But that works both ways. I think they're nuts. Because they have no idea of what's coming. And he says, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him. That's capitalized. That's the Lord. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's, we want to understand we're in a warfare. Your flesh does not prefer the will of God. My flesh don't. Our flesh was born with a sinful nature. How, think about this before I get into Romans. Think about Adam and Eve speaking with God in the evening. I mean, face to face with God showing up every day and them still turning, their, turning away from Him. The flesh. Here comes Satan in the garden and you know the story. So think about the flesh because we're going to talk a lot about that here. The works of the flesh. We're going to talk about how the flesh works on us. And we're going to talk about how to get victory over the flesh. All those kind of things are going to happen as we unfold this book. Now, let me tell you a few things about Paul. Very few things because there's not a whole lot about Paul other than what's in the scripture. Most people believe he was beheaded and that's probably right. There's no concrete evidence of that. Uh, we don't know exactly when he died, but most likely he was killed out on one of those Roman ways just right outside the city near Nero's reign. And a lot of that, they kind of feel like right, but there's no way to nail that down. And we don't hear a whole lot about his death and burial. We, don't have, we really don't hear any about it in the scripture except where he says, my time's at hand, my departure's here, I'm getting ready to leave here. Then in Philippians, he wanted to leave earlier, remember? And he talked about how getting caught up in the third heaven. And he said he saw things he couldn't even talk about. And he said, he put it to us. He said, I'd rather go on, but I've got to stay here basically on account of you all. He said, because I've got to stay here. And, you know, he wrote, or the Holy Spirit used him to write most of the New Testament. So God wasn't through with him, but he wanted to go on for whatever he saw was drawing him, right? But then he gets ready to go, but we don't really hear. It's kind of like Moses, you know. God buried Moses and kept his body, and that's why the devil was trying to steal the body in the book of Jude because God had kept it. And Just Michael and him were fussing over that over there, so some strength. But I really believe there's not much about Paul's death and the end and all that stuff because he was the kind of guy that wanted God to get glory in everything. I guarantee you he didn't want them to make a fuss over his grave or or any, make a statue or anything like that about him. That's the kind of guy he was. His whole glory was wrapped up in the Lord Jesus. Sold out. 
May not be another guy ever touched this globe. Other, of course Jesus. But other than Jesus. Than Paul that was that sold out. D.L. Moody. Was a shoeshine boy in Chicago. And they said when he, would, when he would hold services. The power of God was so strong. That you could feel it in the neighborhood. That God would show up in his services. And he made this statement. He said, the world has yet to see what one man totally surrendered to God could do. Well, Paul was probably that guy. But since then, who knows if we've had anybody like that. He was totally sold out. And he laid his life on the line. And he's going to prove that with the very first verse here in just a second. Paul's credentials were not with the Assemblies of God or the Baptists. Or the Methodists. Paul's credentials were his ownership. Speaking of the Lord's ownership on his life. His call. And Paul's sacrifice for the kingdom of God. That's his credentials. If you read his rap sheet, you probably wouldn't hire him. Everywhere he went, he calls riots. <laughs> Thrown in jail several times. Well, your pastor's been in jail how many times? Since he's been preaching, he's been in jail how many times? So all of that... His credentials, and I want to say this, you and I will never go as far as God intended for us if we're not willing to be sacrificial. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good you are at what you do. I don't care how skilled or talented you are at something where you're on the platform in front of people or in, in a, wherever God used you. If you're not willing to sacrifice, you have limited how far you're going to go in God. You just, it just won't happen. You, you got to turn away. You got everybody in the scripture that God used mightily. They walked away from something. Most of them walked away from everything. And you got to be sacrificial. You don't get to invite God in and say, God, you can use me within these boundaries. That ain't, that ain't how this works. That's not ownership. And that's what I want to show you first thing. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. That word bondservant is doulos. If you go in the Roman culture, in the Greek culture, you will find different levels of servants. You will, you will find servants in, in Rome and in Greece and, and all that culture. You would find some servants who had more rights than others. In other words, some servants could decide where they wanted to live, but they still worked for somebody else. Some servants could decide what they wore themselves, but they still worked for somebody. They still had some claim to them. Some servants could decide what kind of house they lived in. Some servants, even because they were higher up on the rung, could decide the terms of when they worked and, and what they did. But a doulos couldn't. A doulos was somebody who was told what to wear, told where to live, told when to get up and when to go to bed and when to eat. That's what Paul's saying he is for God. Doulos. I'm, he, he owns me. Everything about me is under his jurisdiction. Now the flip side of that, is a doulos is somebody that the master 
took total responsibility to clothe, to feed, to care for, to watch over. So there's a two side to that. You see that? So Paul's coming down. Most likely he was married. Again, we don't have concrete evidence of that. Just like we don't have concrete evidence in the scripture of actually how he died. But it's pretty accepted that he was beheaded. And pretty accepted that he probably had a wife to be a Pharisee. And be on that, this, in the circle he was in. We don't have much information about that. Again, I think Paul's life is, is used just totally focused on how God done great things through a man who was totally sold out. And that's what God wants us to know about him. A man who was a sinner, right? And who was brought out of that sin and brought into the kingdom of God. But a man that didn't, if I can say it this way, that didn't dilly-dally. How many preachers are in the pulpit today that went to the desert to be with God for three, month, three years before they done anything? Right? And so I, I tried. I don't have the same experience of Paul. I don't even want to even suggest that. But I did try to follow his pattern. Uh, I waited for several years before I stepped out in the ministry. And I was going to my creek bank even when I worked in the mines every day. My wife and I have walked away from everything three times with not knowing where our next check was coming from. That builds faith in us. It builds faith in you to turn your back on something and say, I'm going to be a doulos. I'm going to trust you to take care of me. And that, that battle still goes on at times, right? Because the flesh says, hey, you better fix this and take care of this and don't wait on God. Right? So... I'm not where Paul's at, but I've tried to mimic him in some of that stuff in my own life because we're not laboring for rewards down here, are we? We got that messed up. We're not laboring for men to pat us on the back down here. We're not laboring for stuff down here. That's not why we labor. We labor for what's laid up on the other side. And so, as I've stressed to us a lot lately, wherever your circle of influence is, everybody can't be a preacher. And trust me, everybody don't want to be one. But wherever your circle of influence is at, God puts you there. Do you, I, I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe there will be people esteemed in heaven higher than people who were in so-called ministry. Because they were faithful in what God gave them to do. If God called that grandmother to crawl in her prayer closet every day and she did it, man, she's being faithful. She's going to be just as rewarded, if not more so, than somebody who lays claim to leading X number of people to Christ. Because we don't save nobody no how. We need to get out of that anyway. We just plant water. It takes God to give the increase. Amen. I had a, a guy that come uh, to the Lord down in the, the satellite and he said, you know what? He said, all kinds of people was trying to come by to tell me what I needed to do. He said, but when the Holy Spirit showed up and started convicting me, that's what changed my life. 
So we need the Spirit involved with us, right? That's what we need. We need to be led by the Spirit so that we can be effective. So Paul's a doulos. He's somebody that's totally surrendered to God. And God now has taken responsibility for Paul. And, and so he says, which he promised. He said, he separated me for the gospel, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead. So that power, the power of God is not connected to emotionalism. It's not connected to a certain uh, feel. It's connected to holiness. That's where the power of God is connected. That's what raised him up. And the Bible talks about that same Spirit being inside of us. But there's a connection between holiness... And, and the power of God. And he says, through him, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Here it is, for obedience. So obedience should be our goal. My goal, and I've, I've, I don't know if I've shared this lately, but my goal was never to have X number of people in church or never to have led this many. My goal is to be obedient. Whatever he asked me to do, the results are up to God. I don't make results happen. You don't make results happen. That takes the work of the Holy Spirit. We're just a vessel. And, and, and the results are his deal, right? We don't make results. We just obey. And as we obey, the Holy Spirit is involved and he brings results. And he said, that's what we're called to do. We're called for the obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. We're called to be saints. We're called to be hagios. We're called to be set apart. Is because and lust and immorality and material consume with that, and then then they fell from within because they they had so many problems and they gave way to sin and the flesh became the goal. Satisfying the flesh in this culture became the goal. They become bloodthirsty and violent. Like was part of the word we got Sunday about violence. That was part of the culture of Rome. Was the violence that was going on. And the sexual immorality. And then that stuff was in other cultures as well. But Rome was dominating that. And spreading that. Because people lived that lifestyle. And it just was perpetrated down to their children. And now <clears throat> my generation got raised on, MV, on MTV basically. Everything, if you remember MTV, when it, I was a teenager when that first came out, a young teenager. Of course, we didn't have, I never, we never had MTV because we had an antenna that you had to twist <laughs> to get the other channel, right? How many know what I'm talking about? I'll, I'll hear this until I go home to be with Jesus. My dad saying, whoa, 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 right there. <laughs> you go twist that antenna till you get that other channel that's got a little bit less snow than the other channel you were watching. But MTV raised a whole generation. And it raised a whole generation on sin. 
no boundaries, right? They raised that whole generation about glorifying things that God was against. And then it perpetrated. Then, then we got the next generation that got raised on uh, the movie channels that television came out with, which they, uh, uh, what's the cross in the switch? David Wilkerson prophesied. He prophesied that the filth that was in the streets and in the bad parts of the cities would eventually come into every home in America. He prophesied that in the 60s. Boy, was he right on. And now we got generations being raised up off of social media. Access. We got 10 and 12-year-olds, hopefully not yours, but we got 10 and 12-year-olds that have access to anything they want to see. And they can see how to commit suicide. They can see anything they want to see. We're raising cultures. What are we doing? We're desensitizing them. Desensitize them. Now you've got whole generations that don't believe abortion's wrong. You've got whole generations that don't believe same-sex marriage is wrong. And of course, we're going to see clearly it is in this chapter. We won't get there tonight. But it's just, it's just no plainer. Now, now, this is God's position. Right? I mean, I'm going to stick with God's position. And I believe you are going to stick with God's position. But we're in a minority now. Most people ain't going to... They're not... In this culture, it's like Rome. They're not going to stick... With God's position. They're going to do the flesh. They're going to follow the flesh. So then he says. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now. Before I move on from this obedience. Not yielding. Will cause strife within us. And, and as you mature in the Lord. And you real, if you look back on your life and look back at a lot of conflict, you realize that a lot of that conflict was coming from inside of you. Because you're not willing to yield to where the Spirit's calling you to yield. And I've said this many times, the greatest desire of the Holy Spirit in God's people is to conquer us. To bring us under His authority and His subjection to where we don't reserve any regions of our lives to ourselves but he has full control. He's brought us to the stage of do loss. A bondservant. Where we yield everything to him. I've told you this before, but we baptized all of us churches back in the day. We all baptized in the same spot, this river. And sometimes we'd bump into each other baptizing people. But in this particular river... Uh, this uh, one fellow I know, he he had led somebody to the Lord. He was a very wealthy man in our community. And uh, he was one of those guys that had a wallet you had to put a chain on. He had so much money. Remember that? Remember that? And we were at the baptism. He was walking down to the water to be baptized that day. And his wife was on the bank. And she was a believer. And she called to him and said, hey, your wallet's in your back pocket. And he turned around and what a testimony. He turned around and all of us scattered on that riverbank. He said, it's going under too. It's not going to be my God anymore. And I thought, what a testimony for everybody to hear that day that he's bearing his God. It's done. It's over for him. So as we, as we come, whatever we don't yield in, we'll have strife there. And that strife will come out in an, a defensive way. Right? And, and we'll, we'll start picking at things. Now, uh, real Christians, and the reason I read 
1 Peter there before we got started. Real Christians, and you're going to see this, they get buffeted and persecuted. Real Christians get buffeted by Satan and persecuted by people. If you're thinking, what do you mean by that? I mean exactly what I said. Real Christians deal with that. People who are not Christians do not. I'm drawing the line in the sand. Real Christians get punched and buffeted by Satan and persecuted by the world. If you're not a real Christian, you won't have to worry about that. You'll get along with everybody. But you won't come out from among them and be separate like the Bible said. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us to witness and to share love and even to eat with sinners. But it tells us not to run with them. We have clear, clear direction in there. And Zoe says, and you've heard me say before, you know what's worse than marrying the wrong person? Absolutely nothing is worse than that. <laughs> so, he, so the other thing, if you're not a real Christian, you will not have to worry about being persecuted. You'll just have to worry about the consequences of your own stupidity. But if you're a real Christian, if you're living your faith, and if you stand up for what's right, you're going to be a target of Satan. He's going to hate that and he's going to buffet you like he did Paul. And he, then, the, then you're going to be persecuted. Those who are godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, shall. He didn't say might. It's one of those things like I was talking about Jesus. He didn't say if. He said when. Paul said, those who are godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is part of the journey. And then he says, he, so if you're, if you're going to be a Christian, a real believer, a true believer, you're going to find yourself there. You must also, we must also understand the difference between getting hammered for being forward and obnoxious versus being persecuted for being righteous. We, we got to stay humble. You can be forward and obnoxious even with your attitude with the gospel. And you may, get you may get a little trouble for that. But that's not being persecuted for righteousness. So he says, I want to share those things with you before we go on. Obedience is personal. I can't, you can't do that for me. I can't do that for you. One of the things that took so much pressure off of me in ministry about 30 years ago when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and brought me revelation on this is I can't fix anybody. The only person I can fix is me. And I, I have to have help with that. What I can do about fixing me is yield, right? I can yield, but I can't yield for you. you got to yield for you. And i got to yield for me. So obedience is a personal issue. It's like worship. It's like giving. You can't come and, and worship God and say, God, I'm here this morning worshiping, but uh, my son or my daughter is too lazy to get out of bed and come to church, so put this on their account. Anyhow, this works. Or I'm going to give this morning an offering, but don't credit to me, Lord. Credit that to somebody that's a Yahoo. Whatever a Yahoo is. Uh, I told you this when I went in the mines years ago. One of the guys was a good Christian, and he was, his brother was a scoundrel. And he, he proved it every day in the mines. 
filthy. And he told me one day, because he knew I was a Christian, he said, my brother's a Christian, he just don't act like it. I thought, what? How's that work? You know? <laughs> uh, so he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that all your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with the spirit of the gospel of, of his son that w without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now Rome really got established. The church got established there. It was in a, a tough culture. But where uh, sin abounds, what? Grace does much more. So God showed himself in Rome. Started out with Jews, but that's where a lot of the Gentiles started coming into the church. A lot of them probably got sick of their sin, what it was doing to them. But the Roman church was a, was a, a pretty good model originally. And what they did, they, they wanted their churches to be between 100 and 300 people. And a lot of times it would be the rich folks that had like a large compound or something where they would start these works and, and do them in there. But in the Roman culture, they would want to, and once they got around 300, they would split off and start another church because they, they felt like there was greater accountability like that. They felt like they could stay unified like that. And so bodies would pop up, right? Because they didn't want to get the church too big where there wasn't accountability and where there wasn't a means to stay unified and stay focused on the vision. So they did a lot of good things in Rome, but they had so many battles to face because the culture was so saturated, just like America, just like America. Listen, when I was growing up, not only did most places not open on Sunday, but all the schools would not do anything on Wednesday. When I was growing up, they had that much respect for the house of God. That's all changed. That's all changed. The culture wants everything about us, right? They want everything about They want us flood in on us. And who's behind it? The Bible says Satan's the God of this world. So he, he wants us to put other things in front of God. He don't want you here on Wednesday night. It's more than you just being here. You're, you're, you're sitting under the Word of God, right? You're letting that pour into you. You're here to be unified, to encourage. I watch you all. A lot of you get here early. I see what you're doing. The Bible talks about uh, uh, edifying one another. That's a good thing. Encouraging each other in the faith. We need that. But also, we're a testimony. When people drive by these buildings here and they see all these people here on a Wednesday or a Sunday and they think, man, that's important to them. That's important to us, right? But the devil don't want to, he don't want you all to encourage each other. He don't want you to love each other. He don't want you to sit under the word. He don't want that. He don't want you to grow. He wants you to be distracted. And he wants to hand us off plenty of excuses to make us feel better about putting God off. Don't he? He's handed me some of those off before, right? He loves to get, if you want an excuse, the devil will get you one Via text, email, whatever, however you want it. He'll get it to you. He will get it to you. Most of the time you don't even have to do that. Does he? he can put it right in your mind. You can work it out to where you can justify it, right? That's the flesh. See how the flesh is? Flesh is right there. He, 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 he likes to not be pushed around. He likes to not yield. He likes to not be in his comfort zone. But that's, that's what I want to say to you all. I want 2024 to be a year of sacrifice for us. That it be sacrificial. What can you do this year that maybe will cause you to stretch a little bit. And to get out of your comfort zone. Because Jesus is coming. And, and, and we don't want to leave anything undone. I heard an old timer say this. And sometimes 
those old timers, you know, they've been to two county fairs and three hog callings. They've been some places. And I'm getting ready to be one of them old timers for long. But I remember one of them said, he said, everybody's running around saying, I want to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven. He said, we don't want to get there until God's finished everything in us and with us. We want to make sure we get our stuff done. Whatever he's handed off to us and whatever he's doing in us. We want to make sure we get that stuff done. So he says, uh, lest I may find, uh, he says, he, Paul's wanting to go see these guys. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 10, he says, making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way to the will of God to come to you. So he's wanting to go be there. For I long to see you that I may impart on you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. And we'll hit those spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and then they uh, come alongside the manifestations that are in 1 Corinthians 12. Those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts in Romans. And he says, I, I, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. So Paul is wanting to bring into them things that God's done in him so he can hand them off and help them get established. They need to grow, right? They need to move forward. He says, uh, that I may impart this so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Is it already 745? Somebody, somebody say, no, it's not, Pastor. You're looking at your watch. <laughs> now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. Now, you still, Paul's a Jew, right? I mean, he's, but God, he's, he's the one, the apostle that was given the assignment to go reach the Gentiles, to bring the gospel to them. And that's why I believe that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's the one that unfolds the rapture. A lot of people, that's what they say about the rapture, the people that don't want to believe in it or say they don't believe in it. Well, Jesus never talked about it. Well, he did uh, allude to it in Luke 21 because when he talked about the tribulation period there in Luke 21, same, similar, almost the same stuff in Mark 24 or Mark 13 and Matthew 24, same discourse there, uh, three guys pinned it down. But then in, after he talks about the tribulation, about Jerusalem uh, going back to the hands of uh, the Jews, out of the Gentiles and how that's the terminal generation in Luke, he goes on to say, he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all this. And that's the only time that we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture. And the reason I believe he didn't go into detail about the rapture, he mostly talked about the tribulation period and about the second coming, right? And you all have been schooled on that. Maybe somebody listening don't understand, but there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. The rapture is before the tribulation. The second coming is when the saints come, which would be you and I as well, when they come back to, with uh, the Lord to, on the earth and set up his kingdom, the millennial kingdom. But the reason I, the, Jesus talked mostly about the tribulation period because the Jews are going to be stuck here during that. They're blinded, right? And they're going to get their eyes open during that. So he's focused on the, he told us this, he said, I've come for the lost house of Israel to, to, to round them up. But they rejected him primarily. But they're going to be left here in the seven years of tribulation. So Jesus focused his time talking about the tribulation period because his primary focus 
was on Jews. If you remember. Now, he, he didn't turn Gentiles away when they really wanted him. Right? But he, 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 he makes sure that we're all in. Right? Because he said, the woman says, my daughter. And he says, yeah, but we don't give the master's meat to the dogs. Right? Referring to the Gentiles. And she says, yeah, but the dogs get the crumbs. And he said, you got it. And he does what, see, but his focus was on the Jews. Now, Paul, you hear his heart. He said, man, I want to get my brothers in. Right? I, I would do this, if I, but his focus was on the Gentiles. So when you get over into Corinthians, where the Holy Spirit's using Paul to pin that down, you find out that he's the one that unfolds the rapture. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But, right, and he talks about the dead in Christ will rise first. And he speaks again about it in Thessalonians. That how, because Paul is ministering to the Gentiles. So the rapture is going to be primarily made up of other people than the Jews. Now, there are Jews that, are, that their eyes have been opened. Jonathan Kahn's one of those Jews. The guy that some of you know I brought in before from Israel, my glory. We, there are Jews that have been born again. Because their eyes were open. They see, but the, the primary, the whole nation is going to be left here to go through the tribulation. And the primary, uh, most of the people going in the rapture are going to be Gentiles. Sprinkled in with some of the Jews. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. I plan to come to you. He said, I'm a debtor. Look what Paul said. I'm a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians. Both to the wise and unwise. Everybody. So you and I don't get to pick and choose who we witness to. And, and I want to say this to you because it's, it's time for us to grow up. You don't just get to witness when you're comfortable about it. <laughs> you may be uncomfortable sometimes. But doggone it, you've got a mouth. Every one of us do. And I say that harshly because of my love for him. He gave you a mouth. Now you need to tell people about Jesus. And there's, there's plenty of ways to do it. You, you may text it and I, whatever, but find a way to witness to people. Let them know the truth about what's going on and what they uh, share that with them. You don't save them. We don't, you don't have to carry that burden. We, I, I don't want to stand before the Lord and the Lord say, you know what? You live beside of these people for 13 years and you never once told them about me. Now, do, you, do we really want to answer that question? You rode the bus to work every day for five years with this person and you never once brought me up. Do we really want to answer that question? I don't think we do. I'm not here to throw condemnation on you. I'm here to say, if you've, if you've had opportunities you've missed, put them behind you and go on. Start doing it. Let's run it. Let's run it this year. Let's, let's give him all we got. Listen, there are two people that I came across years ago that I was supposed to witness to that I didn't. And I, I had a moment with God over that. And I, for the first time in my life, I felt what I read in the Scripture. If you, you read some of the Scripture where it said they rent their clothes, I did it that day. That's the day I had. Because one of the guys is dead. And one of them I'll never see again unless it's a supernatural event. But I begged God to send somebody to do the job that he asked me to do. 
that I did because I was distracted or afraid or just put it off. Now, do I think God forgave me? Yeah, I do. I think he loves me. I'm one of his favorites. But man, that's a hard lesson to learn. That's a hard lesson to learn. You know what I did from that point on? I've been praying every time it comes back to my mind. Lord, send somebody to do what you asked me to do. Then I didn't. And you know what the Lord told me when he called me to preach? Because I, I, I was running, you know. And I was fussing and trying to do my own thing and telling God I'll get back to him later. You know, you all have heard that testimony. But you know what he said to me? The reason, he told me one day, I was as clear as a bell, might as well have been audible. He said, I caused, called you to preach and raised you up to do what others refused to do. So there's some people behind me that's got some repenting to do. They didn't answer the call. They didn't do what God had asked them to do. I've not always done what God's asked me to do. I've run, I've hid, rolled under pine trees, everything. But I'm repented. And I'll tell you right now, I don't want to miss another opportunity. I don't. I don't want to miss another opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. I, I'm not responsible. For, I don't care the weight of that. I don't care the weight of somebody getting saved or not saved. That's not my problem. That's God's problem. I, I just want to be faithful. And if I really believe and feel and know how good he's been to me, why wouldn't I want to share him with other people? Why wouldn't I? What would keep me from doing that? Well, I'm shy. Well, get over it. You think he enjoyed carrying that cross up that hill? Half naked? Spikes drove in him? There are no excuses, are there? He says, so as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Now, if anybody can stand up in front of people and share the gospel with them, if Paul can do it, we can do it. Paul, <laughs> look at Moses. Some of these guys, they tried to talk God off of it, right? Moses said, I can't talk. He wound up doing all the talking. He saw who God was. What about Paul? What about Paul walking into a group of people and there sits a mommy with two girls and no daddy because you had their daddy put to death before you got saved. How are you going to preach to them? How are you going to get comfortable enough to see this dad with two children and no mom because she's in prison because before you got saved, you consented to her being in prison. How are you going to talk to them and tell them how good God is? If Paul can overcome the fears he had, if he can overcome, then we can too. But it takes being sacrificial. It takes being doulos. And I'll, I'll close here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not, are we? We're not ashamed of it. We wouldn't have nothing if it wasn't for the Lord. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Isn't that good news? For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
And when you go back to Habakkuk, that's where he drew that out of. Uh, let's go back to Habakkuk chapter 2 and then we'll close. <clears throat> Let me show you something that the Hebrew does here. In Habakkuk chapter 2, These books are too close together, aren't they? Habakkuk chapter 2. Here's a, here's a good word for all of us. It says, uh, let's just start in verse 1. Chapter 2. The pages are so thin. I flipped all the way back to Nahum. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Will you do that? Will you do that spiritually? And watch to see what he will say to me. And I will answer them when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on the tables, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud... The proud, my soul is an upright. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's how we're supposed to live. Paul said we don't live by sight. We live by faith. We look at that which is unseen. The Bible says that Moses was able to hang in there and get the job done because he could see him who was invisible. That's where we're going to have to live. We're living in these last days. We're going to have to see him who's invisible. Go ahead and tell your neighbor. Say you're going to have to see him who's invisible. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. He's a challenge to all of us, myself included. I don't claim to be sold out like Paul. I don't. It's just hard to imagine how he was so committed. But Lord, we thank you for his example and we thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for sending him to us Gentiles. Where would we be without him? How you used him. A guy who was willing to sacrifice. Lay his life aside. He's, he, he done well representing you, Jesus. He was so sacrificial. Help us to be sacrificial. Lead our lives Bring us to a place of power and authority in you. Let us know you like we've never known you before. And may we be your witnesses in Jesus' name. Amen.